0: won't be a full-on end times study, but we will look at what the Bible has to say about where the story of redemption is headed in the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll spend a few weeks uh, looking at a few different scriptures that speak about that. So as you have uh, opportunity to invite your friends and co-workers, we'd love for you to bring them along with you on Wednesdays as we look at that topic in the coming, coming weeks. Today, I want to spend some time looking at a story that comes down to us, um, most of us probably can can think of it being referred to the story of, of doubting Thomas. Uh, we all know people that, uh, whether it's pessimism or life has kind of got to them and they just don't seem to have a, a good outlook and we, uh, we can end up finding ourselves referring to them as, well, you're just a, a doubting Thomas. Well, I want to challenge that a little bit today and say that I really think after some reading in the last few years and study of this passage that it should be maybe better titled rather than Doubting Thomas, Believing Thomas. Uh, My thoughts on this passage have been shaped greatly by one of my professors in seminary named Michael Williams that has written a book that many of us read leading up to our missions conference this year. And so I will refer a lot of the material will be based on some things that he brought out in his book. So I want to give that credit away. You can know, you can rest assured that 99% of the things I share are not my own thoughts anyway. They're, they're uh, insights from other uh, very much smarter people than myself. So let me read for us John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to, him, said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they're forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it's withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, in his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So much we could draw out of this passage. But I want to make a statement um, and then kind of unpack that statement. And the statement is this. I think this is what this teach, this this passage is teaching us today is that Jesus' bodily resurrection is the ground of our hope for tangible restoration. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the ground of our hope for tangible restoration. What I want to do is just unpack that statement. And here's kind of how we'll set it up. I have a I'm a creature of habit uh... last night we took the kids to to dairy queen out of the shops of river River crossing it was a beautiful evening and um, and my wife looked at me and she said I don't even have to ask what you want what you're going to get I know what you're going to get you're a creature of habit you're going to get an oreo blizzard I said that's exactly right that's exactly what I'm going to get and uh... that's that tends to be my thing I, I every day when I get home I uh... I take my keys out of my pocket and. To my wife's chagrin, I place them on the mantle, uh, and I, that, that way I know exactly where they are. And, and that comes from experience, from having lost my keys so many times early on, uh, when first uh, six, being 16, learning to drive, all those things. That I learned, hey, I, I need to put them in the same place every time, so I'll know exactly where they are. Um, I want to. To have my keys and my wallet and my cell phone right where I know where they, they will be, so that I can I can bank on it. Uh, if I'm ever needing to rush out of the house, I know exactly where to go to grab them, and then I can hit the road. I need something that I can can bank on in that kind of situation. The story of the resurrection is that for a Christian in the scriptures. It is the place that you go to to lean on at any time where your hope is starting to wane. Because it is the ground of our hope for any sort of tangible restoration. One commentator said it's, the, the resurrection is the, the single best page of the story of redemption. Because it gives hope, it gives life, it gives meaning to it all. It is the page that tells about the fulfillment of all the promises that were made in the Scripture up until that point and points us to where things are headed for the future. When we look out at our world, it's not hard to start to see that uh, a lot of times it seems like hope is gone. Or maybe our hope at its best a lot of times is just wishful thinking. And it looks like sin and death have won the day. All we have to do is flip on the news to see that. But what the resurrection tells us is that's not the end of the story. A, a, a specific event has happened in the life of this person called Jesus that gives us hope for a tangible restoration. All right. Start with the first phrase. Point one. It was a bodily resurrection. It was a bodily resurrection. Now, many of us take that for granted but the world doesn't. That is, that is a crazy idea to most of the world today. That Jesus truly and really rose bodily from the dead. The, the idea of doubting Thomas is, is really not entirely fair. Um, if he had been present when the risen Christ first showed himself to the disciples, then he most likely would have believed too. But he happened to be the one that wasn't there. We're not told the reason why. We really don't have any reason to speculate in the fact that he just wasn't with them at the time. And when his colleagues come and tell him, hey, we've seen Jesus, Thomas remains unconvinced. And he says, no, I, I've, I've got to see it. I need a, a real sign, uh, and, and only the most personal and concrete evidence will, will convince me that, that he's risen from the dead. And there, there's, there's truth to the idea there that uh, in, in some ways, he, he, Thomas is a common sense disciple. He's, he's all too aware of how people's imagination can play tricks on them. And so there may be there's at least a hint in him of an attitude of, of what Jesus had earlier condemned in the Gospel of John, saying, well, you always just want to sign. You always just want to sign. But truly, all the disciples would have been that way. They all saw the risen Christ, um, and they, they needed to see him face to face. Jesus' words in verse 26 and 27 of do not disbelieve but believe truly it mean do not be an unbeliever but a believer. Up to this point, Thomas has shown himself to be a loyal disciple to Jesus uh, who went to the cross. And so far as he understood him, he followed him. It's Jesus' statement is maybe a small rebuke or correction, but it's it's also a a condescension on Jesus' part to say, Hey, you need and you want a proof? Come here. Put your finger here. Put your hand here. See, I am real. I have truly risen from the dead. My body is whole. Um, And verse 29, it's best to understand Jesus' words. as He says, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believed. He's he's basically saying, it's, it's really a statement saying, listen, Thomas, you have seen me and have believed. And because you've seen me and believed, there will be many, many after you that will not be able to see me. But they will believe because you've seen me. And they will be blessed. So it, it may be a little bit of rebuke, but it's also a statement of of truth. Thomas, you've seen me, and you've believed. There'll be many that come after you that have not seen me, but they will believe because you have seen me and believed, and they will be blessed because of it. Thomas's faith is is not depreciated. It's it's a step of faith that Thomas has taken, and it's his his confession is, is unrestrained, and it triggers in Jesus' mind the next step the, of those that will come to faith because of, of Thomas's pronouncement. Um, th- let's look real quick. You don't have to turn there, but I, I want to drive this point home before we leave it. Chapter 24 of Luke, uh, you see the disciples in a very similar light as Thomas. Chapter 24, verse 36, it says, As they were t- talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is, it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, they were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. You see, that's another account of a gospel writer of what happened when Jesus first appeared to them. These disciples were no different than Thomas in the sense that they saw him standing right there in front of them. And they said, uh, you must be a ghost. It must be a spirit. And he said, you don't, why do doubts arise? Come, look, see me. I'm, I've got a real body. Hey, matter of fact, I'm a little hungry. You got any fish? And so he eats fish in front of them so that he, they can see, hey, my body's real. And it says they still disbelieve, but, but for joy, it's kind of that, that whole idea of, I cannot believe this. I'm sitting here looking at it right in front of me, but I can hardly believe it. This is amazing. So Thomas was, maybe it's too strong to say right, but it was, ex, it was expected. It was accepted for him to, to want to see a real Jesus. Thomas believed because he had seen physical evidence was the crucial item That moved all of them to believe. Thomas didn't miss the point. He got it. That your faith and mine rests on a resurrected Jesus who can be touched. Now why does that matter? Well, let's keep going. Jesus' bodily resurrection, number two, is the ground of our hope. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the ground of our hope. When we think of hope... In our day and age, we think of it as some sort of an abstract thought or wish that, well, I hope, I wish things will never be or won't always be the way I see them. Or, man, I hope or I wish that one day things will be as I want them to be. But biblical hope is, it's not this abstract wish. Biblical hope is a tangible guarantee that things will not always be as I see them now, but that that one day things will be as God has promised that's what biblical hope is, a sure hope, because the one that we place our hope in is sure. Um, the speed with which Thomas's unbelief was transformed into joyful faith is consistent with the experience of other witnesses that see Jesus. Uh, Jesus immediately praises him for his faith. And if it's not as notable as the faith of those who believe without demanding some kind of evidence, it's still it's a, it's a notable faith. His confession is powerful. He says, "My Lord and my God." This this word "my" is a personal confession. He displays faith uh, not not simply in the resurrection, but to the, the deepest meaning of the resurrection that you are none other than my covenant Lord, the one who has has con- committed himself to us as a, as a people um, from from Genesis. Um, 1 and 2 and 3 that we studied in the last few weeks. God is the one who comes to his people to enter into this covenant relationship with them and to be with them forever. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, comes in the flesh. And Thomas knows it. As soon as he sees that he is really and truly bodily resurrected from the dead, he's saying, the fact that you are here shows me that you are the... are God, you are my Lord, my covenant Lord, and my God. This book is kind of comes to a conclusion in the verses that follow um, the, the, the testimony of Thomas. It says in verses 30 and 31, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. The book of John could have ended right there. Uh, Depending on who you read, some scholars think that initially it was the ending. And that John went back and wrote, oh yeah, I need to tell you about Peter's restoration. Let me write one more chapter here. And that's what chapter 21 is. And the reason I say it could end right there is because John sets out in chapter 1 what his book is about. He says, in the beginning, chapter 1, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And then he says, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is setting out in chapter 1, hey, I want to tell you about this Word and the idea of word, the logos, is the idea um, of communication. I heard one pastor say it like this. If you and I were to go to lunch and somebody were to, to know that I, you were going to lunch with me and they came, you came back and you saw them afterwards and you said, well, how did lunch with Eric go? And you said, well, I don't really know. We, we showed up and I sat down and he, he waved at me and I waved at him. And we uh, motioned to the, the waitress what we wanted for our food and it came down and we did this, you know, this is good. And we started eating, and pretty soon we were both done. It was kind of a small lunch, so we waved, and we, we, we left. And you said, well, that was weird. You, you don't feel like you really got to know him. No, I, I didn't get to know him at all because not a word was spoken. What John's doing is saying, hey, God is going to make himself known to us um, through a person. Through his son, Jesus Christ, who is going to come and dwell among us. The word is made flesh, lives among us. And now, here at the end of the book, John is saying, through Thomas' confession, that Jesus, who is with God at the beginning, uh, the creator God, is the very God that that you see here standing before you, Thomas. He is the one, John is saying, that I've written this whole book about. There are many other things I could tell you about him, but I've written these things, and I'm I'm ending here, so that you may know uh, this God, and you may believe in him, you may have faith in him, just like Thomas did. Thomas uh, gives skeptics, like I was, some ground to stand on, because he wasn't willing to accept accept some sort of a spiritualized resurrection. a, A resurrection, oh, I believe in Jesus. I don't know if he was really and truly raised from the dead, but he's raised in my heart. No, Thomas said. I I need to see him. If he is truly the God-man, then I need to see him him bodily raised because I need a hope that I can stand on, something that's real. When God resurrects, he goes big time. This is not a spiritual resurrection in the hearts of people that just desperately wanted Jesus to, to live again. Uh, If the resurrection were anything other than a physical, historical event, then the empty tomb story is really unnecessary and irrelevant. And in fact, it may even be misleading. The disciples, cowering in the upper room, came face to face with a physical, fish-eating Jesus. And his tangibility was just the point. That God had raised Jesus bodily from the dead. So why does that matter? Well, if Jesus was truly God and he truly accomplished victory over death and hell by raising from the dead, then the restoration that he brings is a tangible one. It's a real restoration. It's a real redemption. Um, John's purpose in this book is not academic. He writes in order that men and women may believe a certain propositional truth. The truth that that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is is this person that He's he's drawn a picture of throughout His whole gospel. But this faith is not an end in itself. It's directed towards the goal of a personal and future full salvation. That you believe in Jesus. You trust in Him that He really was who He said He was. um, That... By believing, you may have life in his name. Jesus' bodily resurrection is the ground of our hope for a tangible restoration. Think about it this way. I heard a pastor uh, give this example. And he said it this way. He said, if, what if I told you today that I could beat Tiger Woods in golf? And you laugh. And, and I say, no, I really can beat Tiger Woods in golf. I, ten times out of ten times, I can beat him. And you said, there's no way, you know, even if he gave you... You know, 10 million strokes, you still couldn't beat Tiger Woods on, on a round of golf. He said, no, I could. And he said, I- I'll prove it to you. He said, okay, how are you going to prove it to me? Well, I've got it in my, my in my pocket here, a pistol. And in a minute, I'm going to put the pistol to my head, and I'm going to pull the trigger. And then when, as soon as I fall down dead on the ground, I want you to, to hit your stopwatch and, uh, and time it. And at exactly three zero zero in your stopwatch, I'm going to rise from the dead. And say, if I I do that, if I I do what I just described, would you believe that I could beat Tiger Woods in golf? Well, yeah, I believe you can do that. If you can do that, I believe anything else you say. See, Jesus uh, predicted what he was going to do. The the scriptures predicted what he was going to do. He was going to die. Take the punishment that we deserve for our sins on himself. And, and truly take the wrath of God up until death. And three days later, he was going to rise from the dead, having conquered death and sin uh, and all its consequences. And he did it. And if Jesus did that, then we can bank on every other promise that he's made us. It means he truly was God, that the God that had made all of these promises to his people from Genesis 1-1, all the way to this point has fulfilled it. He's proved good on his promise. If I uh, told you I had a task that I wanted you to do and I told you, you know what, I'll pay you a hundred thousand dollars. It's gonna, it's a little bit dangerous, but you'll make it through and you come back and I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars if you do this thing for me. And you say, "Man, I don't know, that's a big deal. how about you give me a down payment? And I say, well, I don't have the money on me right now, but you, know, you can trust me. I, I, get, I get it. No way. I'm going to put my life on the line. I don't even know if you can be able to make good on your promise. But what if you said, well, OK, well, I need a down payment. And I pull out of my pocket this big stack of hundreds. And I start counting you out, 50, you know, 500, 1,000. Yeah, I start, just start counting you. And all of a sudden, I've got, OK, here's, here's 50,000 and I've got a wad in my, in my other hand, I give you the rest when you get back, and I stick it in my pocket. You say, man, this guy's got it. He'll make good on his promise. He's given me a down payment, which is a guarantee that he can make good on his promise. The scriptures describe the resurrection as that, that Jesus' rising from the dead was a down payment on the promises of God. And that if he's done this, then we can, all of his promises are yes and amen. Because he's done this big thing. The resurrection is the first event of God's promised resolution to the rebellion of the garden. Jesus' Jesus's resurrection is the payment on a promise made when the world was both very young and suddenly made very old by the foolishness and selfishness of sin. The resurrection is a foretaste. Is the first fruits of the ultimate future. In Christ's resurrection, we have a picture of the future given before its full arrival. It's real restoration. If Jesus rose really and truly bodily from the dead, guess what we're promised? That these old, sick, failing bodies... I know it's hard to believe, looking at my this specimen up here today, but... It's gonna be transformed. And it's gonna be really transformed. Not just spiritually in in, in our heads, oh, yeah, one day I'll just be, you know, all this. No, no, really. We're gonna get new bodies. And not only that, it doesn't stop with us. Christ says, I'm gonna come make all things new. And friends, that's what we're gonna study in the next few weeks, is where things are headed. That because of what Jesus has done, rising truly and really bodily from the dead, we have hope that everything's going to be made new. This sin will be totally eradicated. Can you think of what it would be like to not have to struggle with sin, to not feel the effects in our broken world? God is going to do it. And we are guaranteed that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, really and truly from the dead. That's the hope that we have today. When you are talking this week with people that seem to be, have given up hope, when it looks like for you or for them that sin and death have won the day, you can say, no, I've, I've, I've got something else to bank on. I've got a hope that is guaranteed, that it's real, tangible hope. Well, what is that? My Lord and my God has risen from the dead, and has accomplished the victory. And if he's done that, then I can be guaranteed that he's going to make everything else right. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for that real, tangible hope that's given to us by the resurrection. Thank you for for Thomas, for his demanding proof, so that we can look back because of his doubt, because of his need for tangible proof. And, and we can bank on the fact that you, you really and truly rose from the dead bodily and that that is the first fruits, the foretaste of what's to come, that you're reconciling all things to yourself and that you will complete that down payment. You'll complete the promises that you have made to us. You'll complete what you have started. God, we long for that day, and we pray until you come again, that you would help us to be obedient to the things you've called us to. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.